Pray those aren't uh, just words that you sing, but that uh, they ring true in your heart, that it is well with your soul, and that through it all, no matter what we may experience, your eyes will be set on our Heavenly Father who cares for you and who loves you. So on Friday, this past Friday, uh, Jamie, Ezra, and I uh, met with Jamie's family, and we went to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. And wow, is that uh, something else? Who's been to the Ark Encounter before? Uh, a couple of you guys. Not as many, actually, as I was anticipating. Uh, but for any of you guys who are unaware, the Ark Encounter it is a model of the Ark that Noah built as God flooded uh, the world. And I've heard uh, a lot of good things about it, and I hear when you go, it's bigger than what you're expecting. And let me tell you, it was bigger than what I was expecting. That's a big boat uh, that uh, Noah, or, or God instructed Noah uh, to build as God was getting ready to flood uh, the world. And I love, within the ark, they had a, a lot of different information that you could read, and I loved reading up on it. I took lots of different pictures of their uh, different information that was displayed throughout the ark. Um, there was lots of good info on proof of a universal flood and the idea that God created the world, that it didn't happen by mistake, by evolution, uh, as I'm sorry, uh, but that's nonsense. Uh, that would take a whole lot more faith to believe uh, that this world uh, was present by chance than the faith that there is a God uh, who has no beginning or end that created the heavens and the earth. But of all the information that was within the ark, my favorite display was a huge 23-foot timeline of, uh, I see my wife smiling at me because she knows I've been talking about this timeline a lot since then, um, a 23-foot timeline that goes through the history of mankind, talk about biblical history and uh, at the same time, talk about world history. Uh, I was so geeked up about it that I had to order uh, a copy of it for myself. So on Tuesday, I got a 23-foot timeline coming at our house. And let me tell you, I'm excited uh, to read that. I never felt like such a, a geek before. But man, I'm excited. I'm really excited uh, to uh, digest uh, that timeline. Um, but when we were at uh, the Ark Encounter, um, we're, and we're focusing on the story of Noah and the Ark, I remember the times when we learned about Noah and the Ark in Sunday school as a little kid, and I remember these cute little drawings that we would draw in, in Sunday school saying, oh, here's Noah, and the cheerful, sunny time that they're having, and all the animals, and we really kind of display it as a cute little incident with Noah in a cute little boat with some cute little animals. But man, this, this thing was ginormous, and he had to build this boat because of judgment. God was coming to judge the world. He was executing his judgment right then and there because he saw the sins of the people, and it filled God's heart with sorrow. God regretted that he made mankind. And so God, he what did he do? He executed his judgment right then and there, and he flooded uh, the whole earth with water except for Noah and his family and some of uh, the different uh, animals as well. And, and that's the story uh, of Noah and the ark. It's a story of judgment outside of the people of Noah and his family. And as the, it was a story of judgment because the people around Noah, they were viewed as condemned criminals. They were criminals in the eyes of God, and God executed his judgment. That is a sinner's position before God, a condemned criminal. 
As we read from, from like the letters of Paul, we, we read that the wages of sin is death. And so when we commit sin in our life, we deserve death. And we were all deemed guilty. The people in the time of Noah, they were deemed guilty. They were condemned criminals. And that's a problem that we have on our hands today in the 21st century. The wages of sin being death. And we're informed that all mankind has partaken in sinful behavior. And so we all deserve death. And let me tell you, we need saved from this. We need saved from sin, and we need saved from all of the consequences and the effects of sin. And that's exactly what we're talking about as we continue our series on the seven doctrines of salvation, the seven different teachings, the seven different ways that uh, God saves us from sin and the consequences of sin. As sin has uh, multiple different layers in how it affects us in our day-to-day lives. And again, I want to remind you all, this uh, series is inspired uh, from Alva Huffer, who wrote uh, the book Systematic Theology. He actually uh, used to attend one of our uh, sister churches uh, down in Guthrie Grove in South Carolina. I believe he was over in Arizona uh, before then. Um, But he's one of our own who wrote a a pretty uh, thick book um, about the different teachings uh, throughout uh, the Bible. Uh, And he talks about seven, seven doctrines of salvation, or in other words, seven different ways that we are saved from sin and the effects of sin. And today, the uh, theme or the focus uh, uh, of our message today is on the idea of justification. Justification. That is what I would like to call a church word. Church word, I like to think of, are words that we use within the church, but seldom do we use them outside of the church. So what exactly does justification mean? Well, when you look it up in the Merriam-Webster definition, justification simply means the act of justifying something. Wow, I love it when a dictionary defines a word that I'm looking at and gives me uh, the same word in just a different form. Wow, thank you, the act of justifying something. So uh, what, what does justifying uh, mean? Justifying is, the, is declaring something as righteous. So when something is justified, it is declared as righteous. So we talk about justification throughout this message. We're talking about the act of declaring someone or something righteous. Again, I'll say that again. Justification is the act of declaring someone or something righteous. And naturally, none of us are righteous. Naturally, none of us are deemed righteous in the eyes of God. Naturally, we are all viewed as condemned criminals in the eyes of God. And we need to be saved from this. We all need to be justified. We all need to be declared righteous in the eyes of God. And I have good news for you all today. Good news is that is available for each and every one of us. You can be declared righteous. You can be justified. It's available and it's, it's, it's accessible. Now I'm struggling with my words. It's accessible to everybody, all mankind. And we can read about this in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. 
Romans is kind of viewed as a, a sum of theology, as it is really dense with a lot of good information. In Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 31, Paul talks about in-depth detail about this idea of justification being declared righteous. And this is a, a really uh, deep, in-depth study of justification. It's really dense. Um, it can be confusing. So we're going to take it verse by verse, verses 20 through 31 of chapter 3. And so Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So here Paul tells us that nobody, not a single person, is justified by works of the law. And we have to remember, this is coming from Paul, who was a Pharisee himself before he was a converted Christian. And Pharisees, they are notoriously known for being very, very strict with the law. They took the law extremely seriously, and they were constantly butting heads with Jesus, saying, Hey, Jesus, you're not following X, Y, and Z, yada, yada, yada. And so Pharisees, they didn't mess around with the works of the law. But here Paul, a former Pharisee himself, says that by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Now, why is this the case? Well, he says, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. When we start reading through the law, it shines light on the sin that we commit in our life. As no human being outside of Jesus Christ himself has fulfilled the law to a T, fulfilled the law perfectly. We've all had our mistakes. We've all had our mishaps, um, and that leads to sin. And the law sheds light onto that. And so Paul continues in verse 21, and he writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So here, Paul, he's talking about the, the prophets and the law. That, that's kind of fancy terminology for us, the Old Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament, the prophets and the law, and, and how the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. However, the law and the prophets, that bears witness to it. So the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, talks about this righteousness of God, this righteousness of God that Paul is going to continue in this discourse. And in verse 22, Paul writes, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So according to Paul, we are declared righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And there is no distinction. You know, the early church, they really, really struggled with the distinction between Gentile and Jew. The Jews who believed in, in God this whole time, they really struggled with the idea of people outside of their nationality, outside of their origin, coming and accepting this faith in God and the Messiah. But Paul was very adamant throughout his whole ministry that this righteousness through faith was not just available for the Jews only, but it was available for all of mankind. God makes no distinction. 
God makes no distinction between a black man who has a faith, between a white man who has a faith, between a Jew who has a faith, and an Arab who has faith. If you have faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, you are deemed righteous. And Paul continues in verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There we see that beautiful reminder that all of us have sinned. Not a, not a single person excluded. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But praise God, Paul did not stop there. In verse 24, Paul writes, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified by his grace as a gift. You are justified by grace. It is a gift. Grace is undeserved favor. So you are justified. Again, this idea of justification being declared righteous. You are declared righteous by God's grace. We do not deserve it. We deserve death. Nothing more, nothing less. But by the grace of God, you can be deemed, you can be declared righteous. What a beautiful, beautiful promise here. And none of us deserve that, but it's by the grace of God. And this righteousness is only made possible through Jesus. And, and Paul describes us how it is possible through Jesus in verse 25, when he writes, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So this righteousness is only made possible through Jesus as Jesus was the propitiation. Now, what in the world is propitiation? That's another one of these church words, words that we use in the church, but I've not heard it once outside of a church setting and uh, uh, talking with Christian friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. But propitiation is simply the act of gaining favor with someone. So God, he put Jesus for Jesus, he died and suffered on the cross. And through that, we have gained favor with God. As God offered Christ's blood so that we could gain favor with him, we could be reconciled with him. And we receive this, if you take note of here, is to be received by faith. Faith is so, so important in the grand scheme of things. We receive this justification, this favor with God, being declared righteous by nothing other than our faith. It's your faith that you accept this promise, this grace, this gift of being declared righteous, of being justified. And so if we continue uh, down in verse 26, Paul writes, It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God ultimately, he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so if you have faith in Jesus, then God is the one who justifies you. God is the one that says, hey, you are righteous. You are righteous if you have faith in my beloved son, Jesus, God is the one who is saying this. He is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And in verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting, it is excluded. 
By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. And so Paul says here that, hey, we can't boast about this. We can't boast about being deemed righteous. Why? Because it's not by our own doing. It's not by the law of works. Instead, it's by the law of faith. All we have to do to be justified is simply have faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Again, this scene that we are justified by our faith. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. So again, this is available for all people. Verse 30, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Yes, God is one. I love it. God's not two, God's not three, God's not four, but God is one. And that one God will justify us whether or not we are circumcised or uncircumcised. Good news for you ladies. Uh, don't need to be circumcised for this, which, which was a struggle uh, for the Jews who were big, uh, not, not circumcised for the females, but the, the, the men. It was a big deal of whether they had to be circumcised or, or if the need wasn't there. But God, he doesn't look at that. He's willing to justify those by faith. Through faith, we are justified. And then finally, in verse 31, the last verse that we'll read, Paul writes, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So here Paul is saying that, hey, we aren't saved by works of the law. Does that mean that we can just disregard the law? We can just disregard the Old Testament? And Paul says, by no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, why in the world why we, would we uphold the law? Because you are deemed righteous. You are justified. And so let's live accordingly. Let's live like we are a righteous child of God. That's why we do not disregard the law that God has given to his people. And so that is a, a, a lot of information here that Paul uh, kind of just stuffs into these 12 verses, Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 31, all about this idea of justification, which can be kind of a confusing concept to understand. And so this morning, uh, we're going to summarize all of this material into four key truths, four key truths about justification that we can learn within this passage that we just went pretty in-depth into. And so this first key truth that we see here in this passage is that we receive justification by faith. We receive justification by faith. Paul made this extremely clear time and time again, that we receive justification by faith. And so this justification is offered to every single person who has life within their lungs. Every single person has, is offered this justification. All we need to do to receive this justification, to be declared righteous, is to have faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. Your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your parents, your children, your coworkers, they all have this offer. They need to be made aware that they can be declared righteous in the eyes of God. And all we need to do is have a living and active 
faith in Christ Jesus. And we can get rid of our identity as a sinner, and we can put on our identity as being a righteous child of God. So that's key truth number one. We receive justification by faith. Key truth number two. Justification takes place when we have faith. So this justification that's being declared righteous, it takes place right then and there when we have a living and active faith. It doesn't wait for this resurrection when we're raised to an imperishable body, but happens right then and there. So I'm telling you today, if you have a living and active faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, then God views you as righteous. God has justified you today or whenever that day when you have that living and active faith. What a weight off of our shoulders being lifted as God views you as righteous the moment that you have a living and active faith. Because justification, it's an act. It, it is not a process. A lot of things in life, they are processed. They take, they take time to activate. But justification, it is an act. It happens just like that. It's different from like transformation. When we have this living and active faith, we're slowly transformed into the image of Jesus. We slowly begin to embody his characteristics more and more day in and day out. And that's a process. That takes time to get rid of the sin in our lives. But at that moment that you have faith, God has justified you. We see that, that, that terminology, justified, time and time again throughout really all of Paul's writings. So that's key truth number two. Justification takes place when we have faith. And so if you have faith, quit saying that, oh, I'm a poor sinner and sinner sin, and I'm just going to keep on sinning. Stop that. That is extremely toxic because God has declared you as righteous. He's declared you as righteous, and so we need to live accordingly. We need to live like we have been declared as righteous. So don't belittle the price that was paid to declare you as righteous. Start living and identifying as a righteous child of God today. Key truth number three is we are justified by God's grace. It's not our own doing. Again, grace, this terminology of undeserved favor. So we don't deserve to be justified. We don't deserve to be saved from our sins. However, there's undeserved favor through the through God's grace, we can indeed be justified. And similarly, key truth number four, we see that we are justified by the blood of Jesus. So by the grace of God, God offered up his sinless son, Jesus, on the cross to pay for the penalty of sin. Because again, all of us have sin in our life. All of us deserve the wages of that sin, which is death. And God is a just God. But God justifies each and every one of us by the blood of Jesus. So when repentant believers receive Jesus as their Savior and receive him as their substitute, we become united to him. 
And it's treated as if we ourselves obeyed all of the law's precepts. And it's treated as if we ourselves suffered the wages of sin on that cross. That is, that, that, that is the blessing of being united with King Jesus and through his blood. We are justified by the blood of Jesus. And so this is the idea of justification. Naturally, we are all condemned criminals, just like the people in the time of Noah. But today, we can be declared righteous. We can be justified. We receive that through our faith, and it's only made possible through the grace of God and what he sacrificed his son Jesus on that cross. And because of that, you have been declared righteous. And so let's live like it. And so as we can transition into communion, we, we remember that uh, it was only made possible. We are only justified by the blood of Jesus. That's the only reason that we have. That's, Jesus is the only way to being justified. He is the only way in which we can be saved from the consequences of sin and being viewed as a condemned criminal in the eyes of God. And today we, we take a moment to reflect on the blood of Jesus being spilt for us. We, we reflect on the body of Jesus being broken and bruised on our behalf. And so the, this bread on the top here, it represents the body of Jesus being broken for each and every one of us so that we could be justified in the eyes of God. Let's go ahead and let's pray over the bread. Father God, just thank you for this day. Thank you for the promise of justification that you have declared us as righteous children of your children. And Father, I just thank you for the price that was paid to make this possible the body of your precious son, Jesus, being broken and bruised on our behalf. And it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Just as Jesus' body was broken and bruised, his blood was spilt on our behalf the night before he was crucified as he was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. He said, take this cup in remembrance of me. And so we today, we take this cup in remembrance of Jesus. Let's pray over the cup. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the blood spilt on our behalf. We thank you for your good grace, your love, and your mercy that you extend to each and every one of us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the cup. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I pray that each and every one of us, we can accept this gift of justification that we can be declared righteous in your eyes. Father, we love you. I just thank you for this family that we have here, and I pray that we continue to grow closer to you and expand your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.